Well, dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this gathering. Thank you for all of our brothers and sisters here in this wonderful fellowship. We ask you to bless this day in every way. Bless um, the giving of your word, the hearing of your word, the receiving of your word into our hearts. And we thank you that your word does a work in each and every one of us, that we may grow, that we may change, and we may transform to become more like you and more like your son, Jesus. Hallelujah. So we praise you in his glorious name. Amen. Today we're going to begin reading out of the, uh, and the title of, the, of our, our teaching today, and we're going to continue through, is the Gospel according to Luke. And uh, man, all the Gospels, gospels are, are precious. They're a testimony of, uh, on three of the Gospels, the eyewitness account of Jesus, apostles who walked walk with Jesus, lived with Jesus, and heard firsthand from Jesus. And as it turns out, Luke was not one of those original apostles. And in fact, it's believed that Luke, uh, Luke was even a Gentile, or he was not, not Jewish. And I'm going to share some scripture verses as we go along to kind of build that foundation and uh, to show you that it's, it's real possible that Luke was not, uh, was not Jewish, that he was, he was a Gentile. He also, he also was a physician. He was a doctor, very well-educated man. Uh, because he was a well-educated man, he obviously was called by God, inspired by God to write this, this gospel. Uh, it's believed that he, was, he traveled with Paul. He was very close to Paul. Uh, and, uh, and that he... Uh, <clears throat> he uh, anyway, he was, he was close to Paul. He traveled with Paul. And it's also believed that he wrote the book of, book of Acts. And so if you actually combine the Gospel of Luke, and the Gospel of Luke is the longest of all the Gospels, and then you take a, the book of Acts, it's actually believed that there's more written there. I always, uh, I always assume that, that Paul perhaps wrote most of the New Testament in all of his letters, his epistles, and so forth. But it's actually believed in volume that, that, that Luke was actually an author who perhaps wrote more of the New Testament than any other author. It's also believed that he, and as we read through, we're going to see that he had a very close relationship with the other apostles uh, and, and their eyewitness testimony to the account of Jesus and his life and everything that transpired through his death, death suffering death and resurrection. And, uh, and it was according to that that he was able to write, uh, write the gospel that he wrote. Uh, and there's a lot of parallel that, that is taken also from the Gospel of Mark uh, that's, you know, there's, that is written in here and a lot of, lot of similarities to the Gospel of Mark. So we're going to begin reading in, uh, in the first chapter and verse 1. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. Now it's believed this this. The Gospel of Luke was actually addressed to Theophilus. Theophilus was a disciple of Christ. 
Uh, his name is, means, has the meaning of friend of God, uh, and he's the person to whom Luke advised his gospel, or addressed his gospel, and the book of Acts. And that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So I'm going to take you to Colossians chapter 4 and verse 7. And it reads, Tychius, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstance, circumstances and comfort your hearts. One with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will make known to you all things which are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received, the instru received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. So this is, this is Mark, who is considered to be the author, the evangelist, the author of the Gospel of Mark. Marcus was his Latin surname. His Jewish name was John. He was a cousin of Barnabas and a companion of Paul in some of his missionary journeys. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. So he addresses, he addresses these individuals and he, and he acknowledges them as the only fellow workers that... Uh, who were of the circumcision, which means that they were of Jewish descent. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear witness, I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in uh, Laodicea, and those in Hier Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greets you. So I just want, I wanted to present this to just show you where it is in the scriptures in Colossians chapter 4 verse 14 where it speaks of Luke being a, uh, a beloved physician. And, and so I just wanted to also make note as he's addressing these other individuals, these other disciples of, of Christ, he makes real clear, he says, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision, and then it's after that, then he goes on and addresses these other individuals, one of them being Luke, who is acknowledged as the beloved physician, and, uh, and Demas, he greets him. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that are in his house. So I'm just trying to give you a foundation for, for Luke and who he is, who he was, his background. In verse 5, we're going to go back to Luke chapter 1 and verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. 
So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have great you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now I want to take you to Malachi chapter 4 and verses 5 and 6. This was the last book written in the Old Testament, and it's prophesying of John the Baptist. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. There was no hope for us. There was no hope for mankind unless God would send his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? And we were at war with God. We were at enmity. We had a separation. Let's say there was a separation between us and God. And, but God's heart, God's will, God's desire was to reconcile all mankind unto him. Was to, his, his goal was to, his plan and purpose to, was to restore us, was to redeem us. And that would be the work of Christ to come. And John would be called to be the messenger who would go out and speak in the wilderness and speak, speak to all people. He went to the people of Israel and he was proclaiming that Jesus was going to become, uh, make, way, make straight the way of the Lord. He was proclaiming Jesus. But it was interesting that, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And we all remember Elijah from the Old Testament, right? Now what was unique about Elijah? He had a powerful ministry, yes. right? God used him in a powerful way. God actually used, used him to raise up the life of that young man who had, who had died, right? And remember, he went to the widow, and he stayed with the widow. And God had spoke through him, and he said, I want you to proclaim that there's going to be a great famine in, all throughout the land for three and a half years. And as he made his way, the creeks began to dry up, and he... He came upon this woman and her, her child. And, and so this woman, what was her reaction? She says to him, you know, I wish I could feed you, but I have no more than just a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil to make one last little bread for my son and I, and then we'll basically we'll just die and we'll be gone. And so how can I feed you? And it was miraculous 
that God kept replacing the flour and the oil, not in large supply, just enough to take care of all three of them. He says, well, go ahead and make you a cake and make us make me a cake. And and, then God just kept reproducing that and reproducing that. And uh, anyway, her son became ill and... uh, and so she says, she reacts, what have you done? And you have just brought this almost like a curse to my house. And no, 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 let me go up and see your son. And he went up and laid upon the son and proclaimed life, spoke life into that child. And that, light, that child came to life. And, uh, and God just showed himself strong. So anyway, I'm just going to fast forward. Uh, we also then have Elisha the prophet. Elisha was his his right-hand man, his servant, and so forth. And if you remember, uh, Elijah was instructed by God that he was going to be taken out of this, this world. And so he asked Elisha, he said, if there was one thing that you would desire, that you would wish for the Lord to do, what would that be? And he says, I pray that I would have a double portion of your anointing. Amen? And God says, well, uh, that's going to come to pass, and, and it surely did. But the the key thing about Elijah is that God just took him out. He just, he just ascended into heaven, never died at that point. He never died. And I'm going to read on. There's some other scripture that is really interesting. You know, I always, you know, before I understood this, I always asked the question, you know, how interesting it is that why did God take him, you know, and he didn't die, and why did God take him out? So I want to share some other scripture verses with you. First in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 11. And it reads, Assuredly I say to you, among those born of of women, women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than the than he. And that's because John the Baptist had the Holy Spirit. He was the only one that had the Holy Spirit before we when we received Jesus had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And think about it. He had a big job to do. He was he was anointed from the beginning. He had the Holy Spirit from the beginning and he turned the hearts of man towards Jesus. He prepared the way of the Lord. And I, I think you got to have the Holy Spirit to eat locusts, truly. Don't you think so? <laughs> Amen. So it's interesting that, that Jesus would speak of him and say there was no man born of, women, of a woman that has not risen up uh, that, that has not risen up one greater than John the Baptist. So he was he was saying there was no one greater than before me, born of woman, uh, born of a woman than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So what he was referring to here is John had a he had an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But we have something different than John had at that time. And what would that be? We were born again. And we could only be born again. No individual could be born again until Jesus had paid the price for our sins, suffered, died, and rose from the grave. And when he rose from the grave, that was his final victory 
He paid for our sins. He, he, he suffered greatly. He shed his blood on our behalf. But the good news is that it would not have had the power it has unless Jesus rose from the grave because he came to new life. And he did so as a human being, and that's why he had to become one of us because he would become the new Adam, right? We were all blemished with the blemish of Adam and Eve and their sin in the beginning in the garden. We were born that way. It wasn't our personal doing, but we were born with a, with a flawed character. We were imperfect creatures because of their sin. But Jesus, being a perfect human being, fulfilling the law perfectly, death could not hold him down. The wages of death... The wages of sin are death, right? Well, Jesus was without sin, so death could not hold him down. But inasmuch as we are human, he was both human and God, but in so much as being human in the, in the flesh, uh, and in the flesh, he, was, he had weaknesses like us. He had to sleep, he had to eat, he suffered pain, he cried, he had emotional distress, great emotional distress, right? He was every, every bit like us except for sin. But he was a human being and he was the first human being who rose from the grave eternally. Amen? And rose from the grave with, an, with a glorified body. Praise God. So that when he puts his seed in us, how do we get born again? Through faith in him, through faith in the gospel, through faith in what he's done. When we say yes... It's his seed, his spirit joining together with ours. Now that's something John didn't have. He had the Holy Spirit, but he didn't receive the spirit of Christ to become born again. Because we all in the kingdom of God have become a new creation in Christ. Amen? Man, that's good news. What the seed is, is what we are becoming. We're already perfect in our spirit. We're, we're being changed on a daily basis. That's that word called sanctification. But it, it simply means the Holy Spirit working in us day by day to transform our minds, our hearts, our thinking, that it would line up more with Jesus. And God is love, right? Now, Ryan's been, he's been teaching and preaching on, on the subject of love and the importance of love and how important it is, right? Is Without love... We're nothing. Without love, the message we have to give, people aren't going to receive it apart from love, but God is love. So the good news, because we have the Holy Spirit living in us, we have, we have the capability to love Christ-like. Amen? Amen? To love supernaturally. Amen. To love unconditionally. Right? To love and express the same kind of grace and mercy and kindness that's been, that's been shown to us. Amen? Ernie? I want to bring up a subject we don't like to listen about. It's called birth control, abortion. And yet when Mary met Elizabeth, her cousin, Jesus is, has not been born yet, and neither has John. And yet we have the testimony of the leaping and joy within them. So how can you accept abortion as nobody's there. Amen. And then uh, Matthew 11, uh, verse 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, 
and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. This is Jesus speaking about Elijah and the prophecy that the spirit of Elijah would, Elijah would come and the spirit of Elijah was in John. Now, that's pretty amazing, right? For God, all things are possible, right? So that would be the reason why he was taken up because uh, we're going to read a scripture verse right after this that's going to tell us why. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So I want to take you to one more scripture verse. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 24, it reads, For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another, but then he would have, have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He only had to do it once and for all. That's for all people, one time and for all people. The blood he shed was more than enough to atone for the, all the sins of all mankind, all of those before him, during his time and all of those future to come. Amen? And here's the key and here's the understanding, I think, in Elijah being, being taken up into heaven for the time that his spirit, he would come back and he would become, if you will, kind of the incarnate uh, John the Baptist. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Praise be to God, huh? So it's been appointed for men to die but once. So I believe that's why Elijah was taken up because he would come back in the person of John the Baptist and we know how he, he died. He gave his life. He was beheaded, beheaded uh, uh, because of because he stood for Christ. That's why we all have persecutions. We can count on having persecutions because we're standing for Christ. And if Christ was persecuted, we, we should be aware that that's going to be the case. However, we have a Christ who died for us, who covered everything we would ever need for life and for godliness, and if we would receive what he has to give, we don't have to suffer to the extent, obviously, that he did. And as we walk through this life in victory, we share that testimony. You know, today we were singing the song, who's got that testimony? Let's hear that testimony. We should be so willing with everyone that we have the opportunity to, to meet to share a testimony because you can. Generally, when you meet someone, they'll share something with you that they can't get over. 
And oftentimes, you've experienced something similar, and you can say, you don't have to uh, proselytize, as they say. What you do is just share the truth of what your experience has been with a Savior who did it all for you, and he's available for anyone who would receive him. Amen? Amen. And back to Luke chapter 1 and verse 16, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. Kind of sounds like Abraham, right? <laughs> Except that wasn't the right response to the angel, right? He was doubting what the angel was saying. How could that happen? You see, he's looking at his flesh. He's looking at, yeah, we have limitations, great limitations in our physical being, right? In our fleshly being, especially in our fallen nature, right? Amen. So Is like, there anything too <laughs> difficult for God? Anything? Is his arm too short that he can't do that? No. We, we have a little testimony here um, with Joshua and April. And married for several years, and just they just began to be hopeless because it didn't look like they were going to have a child. And she had a few little issues, but you know what? We were reminded, is anything too difficult for God? Is his arm too short? And so we prayed over them like God tells us to do. Lay hands, you know, call for the elders. Anoint with oil. You know why they call for the elders? Because they've been around a long time around Jesus, and they might have a little more uh, uh, well wisdom and experience, and 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 seeing God's hand of miraculous power, you know, in their lives. So you know, we can, we can be a little more confident. It's a confidence as you get older. So um, thank you for all you elders. <laughs> <laughs> who believe and are willing to stand up and, and uh, show the power of God through what he says to do. Amen? Amen. And, you know, sometimes that's the struggle we have in faith because we look at our own weakness and our own circumstances and we try to compare it. Like, how can God do these things, right? For what's, what's impossible for man is nothing's impossible for God, right? And sometimes we look at our own self, our own situation, our own limitations if you will and sometimes question how can God do that but we know he can we've read and the whole Bible is just filled with the testimonies of God and his mighty power and his mighty workings and all throughout the Old Testament all throughout the time of the ministry of Christ and so here he is just looking at his own weakness how shall I know this for I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years then the angel answered and said to him I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not be able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words which will, will be fulfilled in their own time. Isn't that interesting? That's, you know, what we need to grab that and be mute and not say a word till we see the fulfillment of the promises of God in our own lives. Amen? Amen. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. 
And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Now see how she looked at this? She looked at this as though there was some kind of a curse on her, some kind of a punishment. And, you know, we tend to, when things don't go right in, in, in our lives, or it's really the work of the enemy that comes against us, right? And uh, sometimes we can, you know, we'll think it's coming from God or God's imputing this or punishing us. And I truly believe that the purpose of this was to really show the mighty hand of God, to show that what's impossible for men is possible for God, right? They couldn't conceive of them. Of the, she was beyond the age of, of, of conceiving, right? And as, um, as Sarah was, Abraham's wife was too. And so that was impossible for man, but yet not impossible for God. So I believe the whole purpose was to magnify the power, the goodness, the graciousness of God because he had a plan. He had a plan for their son. Ernie? As being a senior, we've seen a lot of things. And God, you did it before. We want you to do it again. Thank you. Amen. And it happens. Amen. Amen. You know, and I believe Elizabeth, um, you know, I, I had three, three babies myself. And then you, you, oftentimes you don't show until about five to five and a half months, six months. So I think she might have gone out and, you know, prior to that, had she not kept herself for five months, gone out into her neighborhood with all her friendly Christians. Well, they weren't Christians at the time, but, you know, helping her not to believe that it was possible that she was pregnant. So finally at six months when, you know, Mary came to visit and there, you know, there she was, you know, there, it was undoubtable, you know, no doubt, right, that, that she had a bun in the oven, right? So, you know, she not only could convince herself, but now everyone was going to speak in agreement with that baby. Well, and, and I think, was it revealed by her husband? Now, he, he was mute and he couldn't speak. Did he write it down? Did he let her know what happened in there? I don't believe that he did. So I'd have to say she was as much surprised when she all of a sudden became pregnant to have a child, right? I mean, this was amazing, and all the while that was what was revealed to, uh, to her husband. <laughs> Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. 
He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. That's powerful, right? Now we have so much prophecy in the Old Testament, and I'm going to share one. There's so much about Jesus and about his life and about his lordship and what he would do, being our savior, being our redeemer, that was written about, was revealed to the prophets all throughout the Old Testament. That was all to establish a foundation for his coming. So when he came, you know, everything was spoken of Jesus to the people of Israel. They should have recognized him. As a whole, they didn't recognize him, right? And, but all of that was to set the stage for God foretelling, forecasting, saying, hey, my son, I'm going to send my son Jesus. I mean, right in the garden when Adam and Eve, when they had sinned and fallen from his grace, right? God removed them from the garden because wh- why was that? There was a tree of life in that garden. Well, they had already sinned now. They took on a corrupted nature, and God did not want them to eat of that tree and live forever in that corrupted state. But what did God say? God spoke of the seed, and he spoke to Satan, and he said, uh, I'm trying to remember exactly what it says. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, do you, do you? Yeah. I will put enmity between your seed and hers. Uh, he shall bruise your heel, but you shall crush his head. And it's speaking of Satan in this battle. I mean, this is a... This battle's still going on. It was a battle of good versus evil. And the devil was trying to come in and, and just, just desecrate the plan of God. The plan of God was to create us in his very image and likeness so that we could have everlasting fellowship and friendship with, with God. And, and so the devil from, from day one was fighting against him. But that was a statement made. And the seed that was spoken of, would be, which would be the seed of the woman, would be Christ one day to come. The bruising of his heel would be uh, the, the great suffering and, and, and then the death dying on the cross. Uh, and then we know that he would have a victory and he'd rise from the grave. So that was, a, that was a symbolic of the, the bruising of his heel was some symbolic of the, uh, the suffering and death that Jesus would endure for us. But it speaks about he would just, he would crush his head. So Jesus would have final victory over Satan and over all of his evil works. And hey, that's good news for us, right? The good news for us is we're way down line in, 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 in the whole history of time. Christ has already come. Praise God. We have that testimony. We've embraced it. Uh, man, we've, we've got new life. We've become a new creation because of that. Uh, but we live with this eternal hope. And even though, you know, we're going to struggle in this life because we're, we're fighting in this battle. It's a battle of good versus evil. And the devil's trying to come in. And guess what? He's trying to knock us off our pedestal. He's trying to get our eyes off of Jesus. He's trying to rob our joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. If he can rob our joy, it takes our strength away in, in our relationship with the Lord, right? So how do we overcome? By faith, right? Just how we got saved. But it, that's why we walk by faith. Because, man, we can't do it of our own selves. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have had to come. But he's our everything. He's our life. He's our hope, right? He's our healing, Right? He's our victory in all the battles that we face. So guess what? There's a final victory we're all going to enjoy one day. And we're, for all of eternity, and you know what? 
I know we're all going to be hanging out when we get to heaven and we're going to have a great time, right? You know, because we're brothers and sisters and we become close, right? And we're going to be rejoiced. Party time, right? And then marriage banquet, right? It's going to be an awesome time, right, in heaven? So anyway, I want to take you to 2 Samuel and, and we'll, we'll finish after this because... Uh, but anyway, in 2 Samuel, way back in 2 Samuel, chapter 7 and verse 12, and this was spoken to David, okay? It was prophesied over him. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Praise God, right? I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the son of men. Well, we knew it was, Jesus was, is, was the son of God. He was without sin. But what this is referring to, this is referring, it's a type and shadow. It's really symbolic of Jesus would take on all of the sins of the whole world. He would bear our sins. So when you read this in that perspective, in that light, I will be his father and he shall be my son if he commits iniquity or if he represents us, right? And he represents and takes on our iniquity upon himself, upon his body. I will then chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from you from before you and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you your throne shall be established before you forever this was this was prophetic according to all these words and according to all this vision so Nathan spoke to David Nathan was a prophet and he spoke to David these are on the final days before his before his death before his dying and David, or King David, what an inspiration, you know, he just, you know, he, he wrote perhaps half of the book of Psalms, and when we read in there, I mean, we read about God's mercy, and we read about how God is just so good, and so, when you read through the book of Psalms, you just, you, you have this understanding that God's love is eternal, God's mercy, how many times does it say God's mercy endures forever? God's mercy endures forever. And it speaks of his love and it speaks of his kindness and speaks of his mercy. And he's speaking of Jesus, right? Jesus came and what is, what was, how was he defined as grace and truth? Jesus is mercy. Jesus is forgiveness, kindness, love, everlasting love. Amen? And in verse 34, it reads, Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. 
Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Right? She didn't have a negative response. She could have said, Well, how are you going to do this? It can't be done. It's impossible. Did she say that? She didn't. She believed. She believed it to be true. She had to be like, Wow, this is just, this is awesome. Man, God's going to birth a son through me. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm just going to trust. I'm just going to believe. Right? That's where, our, that's where power lies, in trusting and believing in, in, God, in God's word and him and, and all he says to be true, right? Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You know, she, you know we've been given, what a, what a gift it is, the freedom we've been given by God and a freedom of free will, right? To choose. Because God doesn't force himself on anyone, right? And that's why some people are going to end up in hell, not because God's punished God, not God is, by his choices, they're going to hell. They're not going to, you know, receive the gift of everlasting life. It's because they've rejected the gift. It's because they've made a conscious decision and refused Christ, refused the gift of life. He's provided it for all. We have to receive it. You just don't automatically get born. How do you get born? It's through faith in Christ. It's through the hearing of the gospel, right? As it says, it says in Romans 10, chapter 10, verse 10. The word is near you. The word is in your heart. That if you would only confess with your lips and believe in your heart, Jesus Christ, and that he was raised from the dead, you shall be saved. Those who call upon the na name of the Lord shall be saved, Right? we got to call upon the name of the Lord. And that's how we live our life every day. We're calling upon the name of the Lord, right? We can't do it of our own ability, our own strength. But that's, what, that's part of the gift he's given to us. He's always there to comfort us, to encourage us, but to provide for every need we will ever have. And let Mary be our example as to how she responded. When we see impossibilities in our lives and we go and look at the promises of God, then we say, let it be according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word, God. Amen? And then walk in it. Don't look back. Don't change your mind. Stand on his word. Stand on his promises. He's got so many promises for us, some that we don't even know about yet. But I promise you, as you go through life, you're going to find all those promises that can be fulfilled in your situation every Amen. time. Amen. Let we're trying to make it quick because we've got to finish up here. So, Oh, old man, you have so much wisdom in your baloney. I made just as many mistakes as you make. The problem is, when you make a mistake, do you call yourself guilty? You can't. You're innocent. He said you're innocent. Are you going to defy him and not accept the fact that you are now innocent? The devil works by entrapment. Man, that's such a good deal. It's got to be good. And you get in it, and it crashes. Now you're in that position. He says, hey, stupid, what did you do? I made a mistake. Well, what do you do with mistakes? If a mistake isn't a learning process, I don't know what it is. So you learn not to fall for his schemes again, and you don't make the same mistakes twice. So you made a big mistake financially. Father, I need help with this one. I don't know how you're going to do it, but thank you very much. 
Every time the devil brings it up, you say, "Go, don't see me. Go see my father. It's in his, in his hands." And you what? It, you'll see it. Somebody will come up and pay the bill, whatever it is. That, that's the way our impossible God works. Trust Him. Just trust Him. You know, everybody's always talking about faith. The initial word of faith is trust. You either trust God's word or you don't trust it. Don't trust it. <laughs> Keep swimming, pal, because it'll be a while before you get rescued. Trust him, and all of a sudden you say, wow, what happened here? Praise the Lord. It's taken care of. Trust no matter what. Every word in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, God inspired to be put in that book. It is set in cement. Okay? Not all of the book is for you. Some of the book is for non-believers and other people. I don't know who. But the one that's for you, the Holy Spirit will teach you. Walk in that comfort and joy that you didn't deserve a thing, you couldn't have bought it, but it's yours now, walk in it. Amen. So immediately when Mary said, let it be to me according to your word, she conceived right that moment. Amen. When we first believe, when we, when we acknowledge Jesus in our hearts for the very first time and acknowledge him as Savior and what he did for us, and we said, Jesus, I want you, I need you, come into my heart. At that very moment, we spoke it out, we confessed it. That's when the Holy Spirit joined together, the Spirit of Christ joined together with our spirit. We, begot, we got born again, we became a new creation in Him. Amen? Amen. Well, praise be to God, we're going to stop right there because we've ran out of time, but we're going to continue through the Gospel of, of Luke coming up. So, praise be to God. We'll